everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and this time I'll be talking about my ode to leather. When I first came out, I felt the most comfortable in leather bars. I had the easiest time connecting with other guys in leather bars. I didn't even know that they were considered different. I went to the Spike, the Eagle, Rawhide and the Lure. The candle bar flirted with leather, as did Boots and Saddle, the very first bar I ever went to. It was leather Levi's in those days. There were a lot of rules, and I didn't even know that I had to obey them. I didn't pay any attention, and everyone else was much more disciplined and focused on the rules. So, I was startled when people corrected me because I was afraid of even interacting with other guys. I was just so curious and so frightened and so scared that I didn't know how to behave. So when I first came out and went to the leather bars, I kind of found them all by myself because the other gay bars were a lot more out in the open and easier to find. You could always find cute guys who looked very stylish or whatever the gay fashion of the day was loitering around outside and you knew they'd meet up and chat and you'd go oh i see that place with the unusual lighting and oh that's a bar oh that's a gay bar oh okay and that was easy to find but the leather bars were a little bit different and they were a little bit more intimidating to other people but not to me i love them right off the bat so in honor of leather and the end of pride month I'm going to be reading from Cure Mail History of Leather Bars. And on the site, there is an article from Life Magazine in 1964. Homosexuality in America. A secret world grows open in Boulder. Society is forced to look at it and try to understand it. These brawny young men in their leather caps, shirts, jackets, and pants are practicing homosexuals, men who turn to other men for affection and sexual satisfaction. They are part of what they call the gay world, which is actually a sad and often sordid world. Parentheses with an ellipse, close parentheses. On another far out fringe of the gay world are the so-called S&M bars, S for sadism and M for masochism. One of the most dramatic examples is in the warehouse district of San Francisco. Outside the entrance stand a few brightly polished motorcycles, including an occasional lavender model. Inside the bar, the accent is on leather and sadistic symbolism. The walls are covered with murals of masculine-looking men in black leather jackets. A metal collage of motorcycle parts hangs on one wall. Another parenthesis with an ellipse. And close parenthesis. This is the anti-feminine side of homosexuality, says Bill Rukui, I guess that's his name, part owner of the bar. Metal is much in evidence in the room. 
Chains on the wall, the collage, and bunches of keys hanging from the customer's leather belts. That's part of the sadistic business, Requi explains. We used to wear chains on our shoulders. Now the keys are in. From Life Magazine, June 26, 1964. The funny thing about it is, about once a month, I'll get a comment on a YouTube video that I posted a long time ago. And I know that it's buried in YouTube. It's not prominent anywhere. And all of these comments are very wistful and nostalgic. And I'm sure they all come from more mature fellows who were part of the leather community. And it turns out that a video I made of the Eagle's Nest a long time ago in the late 90s that I posted I think about 10 years ago has been embedded on this page. So I'm sure that people visiting this page are the ones who are viewing the video and sending me comments on YouTube because I can't fathom how anyone could find the video on uh, YouTube these days. So I'm kind of flattered by that whole thing and I think that's really neat. And he goes on to discuss a lot of leather history and everything from all the different bars in New York, how it started, and in Amsterdam. Now, I'm also going to read from The Free Library by Farlex in honor of LGBT History Month, Gay Leather History. The gay leather community that everyone has come to know and see originally began after World War II between the years 1942 to 1948. With gay military men returning from the war, they wanted to continue their bonds that they had created during the service. These men migrated to bigger cities on the East and West Coasts, such as New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, and later to large cities of the Great Lakes area like Chicago. This is a community of masculine gay men, which was based on the military with military protocols and rules. How about that? Early on, the dress code was military uniforms, which is still used. However, after the movie The Wild One in 1953, the community embraced the leather biker subculture. I never knew that. This formulated the gay leather subculture as we know it today. The earliest leather bars opened in the mid-50s and early 60s. In the mid-1950s, there was the Silver Dollar in New York, the Cinema in Los Angeles, and Phoebes in San Francisco. In 1955, and renamed in 1959, the Argos in Amsterdam, Netherlands, opened. It was the first leather bar in Europe. Then in 1960, the Gold Coast opened in Chicago. In 1961, the Toolbox opened in San Francisco. Note, the Eagle Bars came much later to become involved in the leather community one had to be invited into the community. The community was inclusive to itself and exclusive to everyone else. To receive an invite, you had to be masculine because no effeminate men were allowed. And back then, effeminate men could be considered masculine by today's standards. When you come into the community, what? Wait a minute, what? When you came into the community, 
you mentored with someone and you started your journey as a submissive, learning from the more dominant members of the community. Hmm. New individuals were passed around from mentor to mentor for training and education. Well, that sounds like fun. And sex was a must. Leather is all about sex, heavy man-on-man, very S&M-based. It was rough play with no safe words, no boundaries. You relied on the dominant to make sure you were kept safe. Mentoring training ensured this. The leather community was extremely secretive. They had to be. The McCarthy era was happening and leather men were considered an extreme perversion and perversion was viewed as part of the communist red scare that was prevalent in U.S. society. Not to mention that men-on-men sex was illegal everywhere. So we had to develop a way to communicate between ourselves. Some of the subtle ways were keys were attached to a belt loop worn on outside of pockets if you were looking for someone to play and have sex. Keys tucked inside the pocket if you weren't. Bandana hankies tucked into the left or right back pocket. The color of the hanky denoted what type of sexual play you are into and what you are looking for. Originally, there were only about three to five colors. Now there is a color for every type of fetish. This was called flagging black motorcycle boots, later black hiking boots. Along with this, during the daytime, it was 501 Levi jeans and a white shirt. Wearing leather was for late at night. The bottom button of a pair of 501 Levi jeans was unbuttoned, which was a sign you were looking for a sex partner, in parentheses, cruising. Keys and hankies worn on the right or left side referred to as flagging. Originally, the West Coast was left, dominant and right, submissive. On the East Coast, the opposite. Over time, the West Coast won. So, keys hankies worn on the left side indicated that you were a top or dominant. Keys hankies worn on the right side indicated you were a bottom or submissive. I never knew there was an East Coast-West Coast thing. Code words were used to communicate between individuals. These code words were used to gain access to bars and to social events. Going to the tea room, get a cup of coffee, playing the saxophone or mandolin are just a few. How about that? Code words were also required to get into private venues and gatherings. Originally, meetings were in private venues, usually warehouses with back alley entrances. You had to know someone in the community in order to attend. All attendees had to know the secret password, and these passwords changed frequently. We had to avoid at all costs the McCarthy Red Hunt, the homosexual communism witch hunt between 1947 to 1957. So we developed what became known as motorcycle runs. These were outdoor gatherings in faraway places where the feds couldn't find you. Oldest continuous run is Badger Flats put on by the Satters Motorcycle Club. After the McCarthy era, starting in the early 60s, there was a marked increase in leather men's bars. Bars that were men only where the patrons had to wear leather or Levi and no cologne or deodorant was allowed. The doorman would smell you to check. If there was any hint of cologne, you were not allowed in. 
Men with wedding rings were also not allowed. Suspicion the person was an undercover cop. The bars were very dark. You could hear sex going on in the darkest areas. Because it was a gay bar, and especially because we were having sex in the bar, the bars were always being raided and shut down by police. When it came to policing, the leather community policed their own. Bad players were ostracized from the community or just not allowed in at all. This is why you never saw on the news anything about leathermen and their sexual play or anything about a scene gone wrong. If there was anything, it was kept out of the news by officials because they didn't want the public to know such perversion existed. The rough sex that leathermen engaged in was called sadomasochism, also called SM or S&M. Originally, these were the only terms we had to describe the type of sexual play that went on between each other. Because gay sex, and especially S&M sex, was illegal, we had to be very careful about being caught. Therefore, we developed code words to help us find others of a like mind. During a conversation, they would ask, Do you play a saxophone or a mandolin? These code words were used to identify if someone was into the S sadist or the M masochist. Ha! Huh, I never knew that. The two words incorporated into the compound sadism and masochism were originally derived from the names of two authors. The term sadism or sado is derived from the name of the Marquis de Sade, Donatien Alphonse Francois de Sade, 1740-1814. Not only did he practice sexual sadism, he also wrote novels about these practices, best known as Justine. The term masochism, which I never knew, was named after Leopold von Sacher Mazoch, 1836-1895. He practiced masochism and wrote novels expressing his masochistic fantasies. It was the German psychiatrist Richard von Kraft Ebbing who first introduced the terms sadism and masochism into institutional medical terminology in his work New Research in the Area of Psychopathology of Sex in 1890. Thanks to the formation of the Metropolitan Community Church, MCC, in 1968 and Stonewall Riots in 1969, the era of gay rights started. From 1973 to 1977, there were a number of U.S. Supreme Court decisions that upheld the right to create, own, possess, and distribute porno material, and then later to decriminalize homosexuality. It seemed that overnight, police harassment of gay bars ceased and no time was lost in their rapid expansion all over the U.S. Thus began what has been called the golden age of leather bars and the leather community. The golden age almost came to a screeching halt with the onset of the AIDS crisis that started in the early 1980s. Because of the heavy play and the fact that most gay men, and especially leather men, didn't form permanent relationships, the AIDS crisis hit the gay and especially the leather community extremely hard. Due to the fact that we had to operate in such secrecy, hardly anything was ever written down about the community or the lifestyle. With the loss of the leather elders, much of the leather history and knowledge, especially the small specifics, were lost. When family came in after our leathermen died, they were disgusted by what they found and everything was tossed into the trash. 
It was during the Golden Age time frame that the first leather club in Wichita was formed, called the Wichita Linemen, in the late 70s. This club was very short-lived and was gone by 1978. The next club was Pegasus MC, originally called a motorcycle club, but after complaints from the straight motorcycle clubs, it was later changed to men's club. Pegasus started in 1978, noted in several leather magazines at the time, and continued until about 1992 to 1993. The next club was Wolf, all caps W-O-O-L-F, Wichita Organization of Leather Fetishes, which started in August 2002 and continues today. Some of the leather bars that existed in Wichita were Boots, Barracks, Tea Room, and The Link. I think there was one earlier than Boots Barracks, but I've been unable to confirm. And that comes from the Liberty Press in 2016. Now back to my personal appreciation of leather bars. I used to go to the Spike the Eagle, the Rawhide, and the Lure. The Lure was in the meatpacking district. It had quite a crowd. It was frequented by very different people. And on uh, odd occasions, you would see people who were not part of the leather community come in out of curiosity. Uh, but the Eagle and the Spike were the places that I enjoyed the most. I have a very uh, distinct story of walking into the Spike by myself one night just after it opened. Now, I was used to seeing an entire row of motorcycles parked outside the front. And this one night, I got there just after it opened, and there was only one motorcycle. I walked in, and there was only one other patron in the entire bar. And the bartender had a silly grin on his face as he was talking to this older man who wore eyeglasses and had leather from his chin to the soles of his feet. I walked up to get a beer, not knowing who this man was, ordered a beer, and as I was waiting for my beer, this older man turned to me, looked at me, said, You're shit. I could have you. I could have you killed. You're shit. I could have you killed. I could have you. I could have you killed. You're shit. And then he turned away, and he went back to drinking his drink. And I could swear this guy had a forked tongue. And that, everybody, was the famous publisher and financier, Malcolm Forbes. How about that, huh? I have video of the Eagle just before it closed, which I mentioned before. I have video of the first Folsom Street East, which happened just outside the lure. I have video of the close of Rawhide. When they opened the back bar, they had a very unusual liquor license that grandfathered them into existence so they could be open in different hours than most other gay bars were allowed to or even decided to operate on. Uh, my videos found their way to uh, several archives. Uh, there was an Ivy League university which uh, asked for and I gladly gave them some of my videos so they could, uh, they could preserve uh, the history. And uh, I think there was a gay leather history museum, I think it's in Chicago, that uh, asked for and received my uh, videos and I was more than happy to give them to that. Uh, uh, and 
I have uh, uh, very fond memories of my experiences in Montreal. Uh, and the Gaylor, the community there, is very active and fun and inviting. And uh, uh, if you go in the cooler months, it's uh, a lot easier to walk around in leather than it is in the summer, that's for sure, even though they have a very short summer. So they gather and they hang out in the leather bars because they stay warmer there. I enjoyed everything about coming out in leather bars because I was amazed at how desirable just walking around in flannel shirts and jeans made me to other guys. Really? Just like this? It's like I put no effort into looking good to other guys this way. Hmm, this is cool. And there were so many fun things to do and people to meet who were very interesting. And um, some people were peculiar. Some people were uh, very inviting. Some people were extremely odd. Uh, I will say that the Spike uh, had uh, pool tables that I was just as clueless as humanly possible about. I would walk in and say, gee, these pool table covers never seem to come off. I wonder why. They seem like perfectly good pool tables, and I bet people would really like to play on them. Oh. And then... I have to say, uh, the one thing about the eagle, the original eagle's nest on 21st and 11th, was that it had a uh, very infamous back area. So the other thing I will say is uh, the lure, which uh, was very fun, which was very nice, uh, used to... Uh, turn on the lights late at night when they were closing up. So if you were there after 3 a.m. and they were getting ready to close, the house lights would come on. <laughs> it would be somewhat startling to see what people look like at that point in the evening. Uh, the other thing I will remember from the lure is there was a fellow, I will not give his name, but he uh, drove all the way from Tom's River, New Jersey, which is about two and a half hours from the meatpacking district. And he had a very specific and extremely, to me anyway, unappealing fetish that he wanted to engage other young men in. And he was no kid. And he wanted people to drive with him back to his house two and a half hours away and engage in this activity. Now, he described his house, which he lived in with his 85-year-old mother, as having a basement that was painted completely black and had winches and hooks attached to the ceiling where he would attach other men face down from the ceiling and engage in this activity, which I thought was uh, very much in the John Wayne Gacy category and he scared the hell out of me. I'm very glad I never had any interest in anything happen to do and I'm sure that there are bodies buried somewhere or weighted down in the canal somewhere near Tom's River because this guy was frightening. And uh, 21st Street and 22nd Street back in those days was a very different scene because the Chelsea Piers were nothing more than piers. I think it was a parking lot for Avis or Hertz. Uh, not much went on there at night, and it was dark. People did not go around there. So uh, the 
alcoves and loading docks of 21st and 22nd Street was a playland. And the police were very uh, pleasant and considerate, and they would signal you from a block away or so by whoop, whoop, whooping their sirens so that you could uh, assemble yourself and put yourself back together again so that you wouldn't do anything incriminating out on the streets. And, of course, Tom of Finland was is, and I think always will be, the seminal icon of gay leather culture. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kiddies say, peace out.